Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Every Square Inch. Abraham Kuyper famously said that there is not one square inch of the whole domain that Jesus, risen from the dead, does not declare mine. And so what this podcast seeks to do is critically engage every square inch of our world according to Jesus, whom we believe is the rightful owner of the world. In this episode, I want to do something a little different. I want to use it as an extension from my sermon this past Sunday. I typically try to keep my preaching and podcasting separate because I know that there are many folks who listen to the podcast but are not a part of our church and under my preaching. And so I, I try to let the podcast stand alone as its own content. But I discussed something in my sermon on Sunday that seemed to strike a chord with many, and uh, several have asked me to explore it deeper. And so I'm going to do that in this podcast. We will we will include a link to my sermon in the description if you want to listen to it. But let me just briefly fill you in on what was discussed. I was preaching on the importance of good deeds within the Christian faith. We believe we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus alone and not in any way by our good works. But that doesn't therefore mean that good works are unimportant to the Christian faith. In fact, they are supremely important. And that's what my sermon was defending. And within that defense, I gave some practical reasons why Christians must recommit ourselves to good deeds. And one of those had to do with our younger generation. As many know, our youth are leaving Christianity at an alarming rate. And I argued that one of the reasons why is that they don't find it particularly effective in our world. They care about justice. They care about making the world a better place. And Christianity, that is just an individual relationship with Jesus, with no social implications, is not compelling at all. Well, a lot of folks reached out about that point in particular and asked if I would explore it even more. And so I'm choosing this podcast to do that. A couple years ago, I, I taught a lecture series on evangelism in the secular age. And I argued that the cultural landscape has so radically changed that we have to rethink the way we do evangelism. And those who have been most impacted by that cultural change are those my age and below. I'm 41, which places me right at the transition between Gen X and millennials. And it's these millennials along with Gen Z after them that grew up amid this radical cultural shift. And as I said, this is reflected in millennials and Gen Z leaving Christianity at an astonishing rate. So what has changed that rendered the Christian faith an uncompelling option to our youth? This is what I want to discuss in this episode. So in my lectures on evangelism, I identified three things. There are three assumptions that we used to be able to make about our world that we can no longer assume. Orthodoxy, objectivity, and authority. Let me show you what I mean with each of those. The first is orthodoxy. The assumption that we just inhabit a religious culture with a built-in orthodoxy that we all share together. This is simply not the case any longer. I have talked on this podcast about philosopher Charles Taylor and his work on the secular age, where he argues that what is unique about secularity is that it is now plausible to live as though there is no God 
and as though religion is not necessary to one's life. Now, we take this for granted, but it is a massive shift in history. This is the first time where the irreligious life is an available option. Now, I would argue that it's still not an option because secularism has yielded a host of secular religions, but that's a podcast for another day. For now, the point we have to appreciate is that up until this moment, and that's not an overstatement, this is a first for humanity, up until now, we could simply assume people believed in some orthodoxy. They believed in some god or gods and thought religion was somehow important to their life. So to reach a culture like that, you have to essentially take that baseline assumption and help refine it to the one true God and the one true gospel. It, it, it was like taking someone who speaks English, but their grammar is off. Their grammar is just horrible. And so you help them to learn to speak English properly. But in a secular age, people are speaking a different language altogether. You cannot assume any longer that people want or even care about religion or God altogether. Okay, the second assumption we can no longer assume is objectivity. Objective moral values or even objective persuasion. Uh, Not long ago, engaging someone with a coherent, logical presentation about the gospel was very effective. You know, you're a sinner, God is just, because of his justice, he can't accept you into heaven, but Jesus died to forgive your sins and bridge that gap. This was compelling, which is why even something like an impersonal track could be persuasive, because the persuasion was in the argument. But the persuasion assumed a culture that accepted moral absolutes and submitted to logical absolutes. Those days are behind us. Most people don't recognize a standard of morality, certainly not your moral standard. Now, morals are subjective. So too is reality itself. This is what is at the root of gender identity. If that cultural development, if if what's taken place with gender baffles you, then you fail to appreciate how subjective experience now trumps objective reality, meaning this. The subjective feelings of a person are truer than objective DNA chromosomes. And so what this all means is that objectivity is not as persuasive as it once was. Simply put, argumentation doesn't work like it used to. That's, <laughs> I'm saying a lot to just say that. You aren't going to reason our youth into the Christian faith because objective morality and logic have been replaced by subjective feelings and experiences. Okay, the final assumption that we can no longer make has to do with authority, ordained authority as well as institutional authority. So not long ago, inviting someone to come to church with you was a fairly persuasive strategy. Why? Because church still held a sense of reverence and respect, culturally speaking. Our our culture actually cared what the institution of the church in general and the ordained minister in particular had to say. Now again, that's no longer the case. You may find your pastor compelling, but you invite a secular, unbelieving, post-Christian friend to hear your pastor preach and you will discover they couldn't care less 
what your pastor has to say. In fact, they are conditioned to reject what your pastor has to say because they are conditioned to distrust institutional authority. So you can't bring them to church to, quote, get them saved anymore. The days of Billy Graham crusades are officially over. They don't care what Billy Graham has to say. In fact, they automatically distrust someone like Billy Graham and what he has to say. So here's where we are. We can't assume our culture even cares about religion or God. We can't use objective, moral, logical persuasion. And we can't bring them to church or some other church event to let the experts convince them. So what do we do? I basically just argued that what the church has been doing in our culture over, really, since, since its founding, um, that this no longer works in our culture. Does that mean that our culture is now unreachable? Do we just give up on millennials and Gen Z? Of course not. Hear me clearly. No culture is unreachable. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation, and it is more powerful than any cultural changes. The task given to us who seek to be faithful in our generation is to reimagine outreach that fits the culture we inhabit. And I want to help us do that as well. What I want to do is go back through those three assumptions that can no longer be assumed and suggest replacements for each. Here's what I mean. Orthodoxy replaced by orthopraxy. Objectivity replaced by hospitality. Authority replaced by identity. Let me, let me go through each of those and, and explain. Objectivity replaced by orthopraxy. Maybe the word replaced is too strong. I'm not saying do away with orthodoxy. I'm saying add to orthodoxy, orthopraxy. This is the point that I made in my sermon on Sunday. The Christianity that was handed to our youth goes something like this. You make a decision to have a personal relationship with Jesus, personal being the key, you and Jesus on an individual journey. And this is the essence of the personal relationship. You go to church on Sunday, perhaps another Bible study throughout the week. You do your devotional readings in the morning. You listen to some Christian music. You read some Christian books. This is essentially what it means to be a Christian. And that is the Christianity which is being rejected by millennials and Gen Z. Why? Because it's not making any difference in the world. It is an individualistic, vertical faith without any horizontal applications. The rising generation is called the justice generation for a reason. They care far less about orthodoxy, right thinking, and far more about orthopraxy, right doing, which I think is a needed correction from our youth, by the way. Our youth are just not impressed by their parents' Bible studies. They want to make the world a better place. So the question they are asking is, does your faith make a difference in this world? Not is your faith right, but is your faith effective? Not is your faith true, but is your faith beautiful? Does it feed the hungry? Does it welcome the stranger? Does it clothe the poor? Does it rebuke the oppressor and free the oppressed? Does it visit the sick and imprisoned? Indeed, does your faith care for the least of these, as Jesus commanded us to do. That's what they find compelling. 
Now, do we give up orthodoxy in favor of a social religion? Of course not. That's not what I'm saying. Hold fast to your orthodoxy, even if you're persecuted for it. But here's the thing about Christian orthodoxy. If it does not manifest in orthopraxy, it is a dead orthodoxy. Faith without works is a dead faith. Listen, we just have to do what Jesus told us to do, and our youth will find it compelling. So perhaps they won't listen to your gospel presentation. But if they watch you embody the gospel, if they see your gospel changing the world, then they will want to join you. They will want to follow the one whose following is fixing the world. So simply put, when we were a religious society, the question that was being asked is, is this the right religion? Is this the true religion? Now the question is being asked, does this religion work? Is this religion beautiful? Reaching this culture starts by showing this culture that the gospel is the most effective and beautiful philosophy the world has ever known, as indeed it is. Okay, next. Objectivity replaced by hospitality. We said that a culture that values objectivity allows for impersonal, moral, and logical persuasion. You could go door to door, meeting total strangers, but strangers who shared the same moral and logical absolutes and persuade them with a presentation. Not anymore. They don't agree with your objective morality and logic, and they find your argumentation unpersuasive at best and offensive at worst. So what do we do? I want to suggest that we rely less on objectivity and more on hospitality. This lonely, isolated, friendless generation is persuaded not by arguments, but by friendship. Hospitality, brothers and sisters. Hospitality, hospitality, hospitality. This is the most effective way to reach our culture. You must open your home and open your life before you ever expect to open your Bible. You must share meals, share laughter, share stories before you are able to share your gospel. So orthodoxy replaced by orthopraxy, objectivity replaced by hospitality, and finally, authority replaced by identity. So we said that authority, ordained and institutional authority, is no longer respected. And what has replaced it is a radical individualism, meaning I am my own authority. And here's how this plays out. Our youth are no longer listening to authority they are trying to find their identity. They are trying to discover themselves, find themselves. Endless introspection. It used to be when you graduated college, you got a job. That seems like the logical next step. Well, now they graduate college and they take a gap year to travel and journal a lot and discover themselves and put it all on Instagram, by the way. Now we can rail on that all we want. But if you want to reach our new world, then we have to get away from the authority stuff and learn what the gospel says to one's identity. The aim is not to introduce them to an authority that preaches to them, but to get with them and get to know them, again, hospitality, and help them discover how Jesus is the answer to their endless search for identity. And by the way, that's not an unbiblical concept. Do you know what the biblical question 
our culture is really interested in now? Not if you died today, would you go to heaven? It's John 1.38, the first words of Jesus in the Gospel of John. What do you want? You could easily make the case that could be translated, what are you after? What a profound question for the rising generation. What are you after? They are not worried about what happens to their soul after death. They are trying to discover their souls in this life. They are lonely, anxious, depressed, broken, hurting souls, desperately trying to find an identity that gives them peace and joy and contentment and purpose and so forth. And the great thing about the gospel is that it doesn't just promise life after death, but abundant life here and now. This is where Tim Keller is gold. He started a revival in our nation's most secular city by retelling the gospel as an identity issue. He reframed sin not as transgression against an almighty authority, though of course he's willing to talk about that stuff, and he does talk about that. But more so, he he reframed it away from transgression against an almighty authority and more so as an issue of what? Idolatry. Keller talks about idolatry over and over again, which is biblical, by the way. So basically, he, he came and said, you New Yorkers are all about identity. Okay, well then, what are you finding your identity in? What is your purpose? What is your joy? And most importantly, is it working? You see, the quest for identity inevitably leads to idolatry. You find your identity in money, power, beauty, family, success, and so forth. And the cultural advantage that we have is that idolatry never works. It never delivers, but our God never fails. He is your identity that will never let you down. He is the peace and joy you went searching for in that gap year of introspection that didn't work. He is the contentment and significance that you are trying to find jumping from job to job to job that never works. Don't you see your identity will not be at rest until it finds its rest in God. In finding him, you will find yourself. In fact, in dying to yourself to follow Jesus, you will finally be alive for the first time. Okay, orthodoxy has been replaced by orthopraxy. Objectivity has been replaced by hospitality. Authority has been replaced by identity. A new world is upon us. And yes, this new world is rejecting Christianity at astonishing rates. It is what it is, but that does not mean our new world is unreachable. We're just going to have to do what Jesus did in his incarnation. We're going to have to love this new world. We're going to have to enter into this new world with a sympathetic understanding, not to condemn this new world, but to join this new world where it finds itself. And then, with reimagined strategies, we're going to have to show this new world that as much as things change, this remains the same. This world is hurting and desperate, and Jesus alone is the answer. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, The best way you can support this podcast is taking the time to give a five-star rating and leave a kind review. And Lord willing, we will be back soon with another episode of Every Square Inch. 